Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode 494 for December 13th, 2023. Joining us today is Chad Berather. You'll learn more about Chad in a minute. He's the author of a new book called Improve Less, the Focus and Align Framework for Sustainable Continuous Improvement. So I hope you'll keep listening. I think the episode today has a lot of practical tips about how to prioritize and align your improvement work. Uh, Improving or trying to improve more things, more processes doesn't always lead to better results. So maybe that's a great point to reflect on here at the end of the year and as we start the new year. Um, to learn more about Chad, his book, his company, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 494. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Chad Bereither. He is the founder and principal consultant of Bereither Group Consulting. He brings a wealth of experience as a change agent in the corporate world. He's worked with organizations that include several Fortune 500 companies, also worked with uh, the U.S. Army on uh, process improvement. Um, Chad is now the author of uh, a new book. It's called, got a copy here, Improve Less, the Focus and Align Framework for Sustainable Continuous Improvement. Um, So Chad holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Michigan Tech University. I, I know Chad a little bit through Michigan Lean Consortium events, and I'm from Michigan. So I'm going to get all casual and, and just call it Michigan Tech. Is that okay? Yeah, Chad? sounds great. Um, Chad is a certified Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, and he has master's degrees in both industrial and systems engineering and applied statistics from Rutgers uh, University. So Chad, uh, congratulations on the book. That's going to be a lot of what we uh, talk about today and um, you know the story of the book and, and topics within, but big accomplishments. So congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. I think it was like two two years ago, or I mean last year, I guess, at the MLC conference, and you you were you you shared with me that you were working on the book at that point. Do I, am I remembering right? You are remembering correctly. And then uh, just in my, um, I know, my my freshman endeavor here, that uh, the the journey between you know words on a page and published work was uh, was something I'd never been through. So that was a great experience. A uh, lot of learnings there. So maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the process of, of writing. We have probably people listening who might be interested in, in doing a book of their own. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll certainly kind of talk about the content uh, within there around continuous improvement. Um, but, you know, Chad, I always like to hear people's origin story. You know, kind of tell us the Chad Breither story of how, when where, why you got involved in continuous improvement. Yeah, so uh, try not to make it too long, but um, I was working on, a in, I studied mechanical engineering, was working on an internship uh, that was with uh, Caterpillar, you know, large equipment manufacturer, and doing design work. And my favorite part of the whole summer was actually taking design revisions down to the manufacturing floor to speak with manufacturing or industrial engineers, manufacturing engineers, depending upon their title, about, you know, the feasibility of making some of these changes. And I, you know, I'd get enamored down there watching they had automated guided vehicles and they were running production, heavy equipment. It was, and I, I'm like looking around like this is way more fun than walking around on the carpets upstairs. And so 
I went back to school. I said, I don't think I want to be a mechanical engineer. I studied industrial engineering. And the, the aspect that really caught my attention was things like quality and reliability. So uh, coming out of that studies, I worked for the Army, which you mentioned, as a civilian engineer uh, doing development of, of different systems that then we would oftentimes have produced by a government contractor. We would own the tech data and either a government facility or a contractor facility would, would do that. So process improvement became a pretty big deal. And um, at the time, they were uh, pioneering what you know, a new program, new to them at least, called uh, Lean Six Sigma. And they, uh, I was able to be on one of the inaugural classes, uh, the Greenbelt classes. And I mean, I, I loved it. It was, it was a lot of things I, I learned put together in a pretty neat package and then was able to leverage that skill set with a lot of uh, suppliers, right? So work out and rather just show up and do the sampling inspection and like, you know, pass or fail was like, well, let's talk about your processes, why we think we failed, work on improvement. Um, and that was great. I, I feel very blessed that I found kind of my niche early on of partnering logical thinking with engaging and teaching people and statistics and kind of smashing all that together. Um, after I uh, transitioned from that career with the intent really to relocate back to the Midwest, um, was involved with an organization, a medical device manufacturer that was much more on the lean side of that. And that was great, right? So that wasn't a, it was kind of mentioned in that Lean Six Sigma program, but now actually seeing like working through things like frontline problem solving and the, the mentality of Kaizen and talking about material replenishment, um, that was like fantastic. I, I, I'm like, man, now partnering kind of the, the heavy analytics with, with some of the, the logic and the people skills of that, I just continue to grow, add things to my tool set. Um, there was two other career stops there. Uh, and basically leading up to what I do now in the book was I've seen in some large organizations and some smaller suppliers, like what I feel works and doesn't work from my own experience. And I'm saying, I, I think we can simplify the approach down and we don't need you know, volumes of text to get the concept across and just each organization is going to evolve their own form, right? We can't copy and paste whatever you want to say. You can't copy and paste Six Sigma from Motorola. You can't copy and paste TPS from Toyota. You have your own corporate culture and you have your own corporate objectives. And so I said, well, what are some of the foundational elements? We need to deploy strategy. We need to improve processes. We need to manage the business every day. That's pretty universal. So I just added up kind of the the minimum tool set. And that's still how I engage clients now yeah. saying what's the minimum we need to get started. And then we'll add things on as the need arises. We identify a problem. There's a different strategic objective. Yeah. So we'll come back. I want to talk about your shift um, into consulting and, and, and what you've learned in different settings that, that led to the book. Um, just kind of going back to some of the, the story that you told there. I mean, I think it's interesting how we can often end up down, starting down one path, and at least you learned early on. I mean, you know, we're not doing an episode of my favorite mistake here, and I don't know if that was <laughs> your favorite mistake doing that ME internship. But I mean, I get it's it's good that you listened um, to your gut or what you know, your your heart was telling you about where your interests were, and, and and making that pivot relatively early early on. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. glad you were able to do that. Some people kind of get stuck and say, well, here's my path. I'm going to keep going down that path. But um, any, any other um, kind of thoughts or, uh, you know, about 
you know, if there's somebody listening who who's trying to figure out, you know, early career path, you know, it took me a little while. I started off at one point, I was a material science engineer and there was a summer internship and I'm like, I don't care about life through a microscope. (laughs) <laughs> even if it's a cool electron microscope. So I, I made my pivot. Um, I don't know, just other, other thoughts around um, just kind of trying to figure out that career direction. Yeah. I, I, it's really, what do you want to do? So when you envision like your work day, your work week, I was just like going from computer screen to like punching a time card. I was just like, man, I, um, this also partners in. So I had that internship. I went back to school at Michigan Tech. And, you know, if you want to be even more casual, when you're in Michigan, it's just tech. So I don't know, back to, back to tech. Um, and one of the professors I had, Craig Fredericks, taught a class on design for manufacturing, right? And I had this quote written down for years. I even carried it around on like a post-it note, right? Which was the, the best design in the world isn't worth anything if you haven't thought about how to produce it, right? He showed a couple of examples of senior design projects that had component parts that were not producible, like great design the technology doesn't exist to make that part the way you've designed it. And that really just got me thinking, I'm like, yeah, I mean, design doesn't matter because, and and the other thing is you don't need to make one. Typically you need to make 10 or 10,000. And so thinking a lot more about production and satisfying the customer more than just the, the design element of it just really resonated with me. So yeah, maybe that sounds a little cheesy. Listen to your gut. But uh, I mean, I guess pay attention to what what lights you up and what you get interested in. Um, I, I was fortunate enough. I also really like teaching. Um, I like teaching because I like learning, which is a weird way to put that in. But like learner is my number one Gallup strength finder strength is like I love learning new things. Um and so new skill sets. So teaching others, seeing that light bulb moment for someone else when you give them a really simple data analysis tool to display their data or look at a process and like suddenly they look at the process they may have been doing for 10 years through a different lens and they just get it like that is what is fulfilling for me. So I saw that more of engaging with production than like trying to, you know, iterate to the, the next optimal design and a finite element analysis. So, right. No, but you're you're right. Teaching is a great way to deepen your understanding mm-hmm. of a field. Right, writing a book, I, you know, I think is kind of you know a similar thing. Uh, again, uh, Chad's book is uh, improve less. Um, so before we come back to to dig a little bit deeper into the book, I'm I'm curious your experience in that civilian role with the army was. Do I hear you right that you were working with um, contractors, suppliers, manufacturers that were producing goods for? the army and then yeah, or maybe sure. other people working on army processes. Uh, so a little bit of both, right? So I started out my career there um, in the quality engineering department, which was working with government contractors, some were government owned facilities. If we want to get like really like hip to the lingo, they were, so you'd have a go, go, go government owned, government operated facility, a go, co G O C O government owned contractor operated or strict government contractor. It didn't matter. Uh, the product you were producing had a specification that it had to meet. And the specification in there, there is a military standard. It's abbreviated MIL-STD. So MIL standard 1916 is the DOD's preferred methods for acceptance of product. The first half of that document talks about process control, 
and variation. And then the second half talks about if you don't have process control, here's sampling tables you can reference. 98% of the contracts I was supporting were just like, we would fly in, we would do the sampling, pass or fail. And I'm like, has anyone read the rest of this document? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are we not focusing more on process control than end of line inspection? Like, there's a lot of things that could be failing if, if we could find that out up stream, we'd be wasting less money, we could get these contracts at lower cost, blah, blah, blah. So I actually took ownership of that for a few years, I was the custodian of mill standard 1916. And I would I've traveled even internationally to suppliers to help coach them through like implementation of process control rather than just sampling plans. And so that was that was amazing, right. And then Kind of pivot that into a reliability engineering role, looking more upfront on product design and capabilities, and then uh, was trained and certified as a, a black belt eventually and joined, it was called the Lean Six Sigma Competency Office, but we were doing training and deployment across our directorate. Yeah. Yeah. When you think of all the benefits that come from Lean and, and how that would apply to the military, uh, you know, first off, you think of the safety and the quality mm -hmm. of what's being uh, provided, um, you know, thinking about making delivery, being cost effective, um, that, that, that space doesn't have uh, a glowing reputation for cost control and cost effectiveness. So, I mean, I, there's, there's so many arguments, it seems, for, you know, for the, the Army and the DOD to be encouraging, if not requiring suppliers, mm -hmm. the way uh, Toyota and automakers, it, it's pretty much the default nowadays but you know there's that question of well, okay if you require it are they going through the motions or are they putting methods into place like you write about in improve less right kind of superficial yeah. lean versus oh we're actually committed to this yeah so it's a great question and it's just an example that popped in my head was things like using statistical process control it's like they produced a lot and then they go back and they chart the data and i'm like but you computed the control limits based upon the lot you just produced. I hope it's in control. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. rather than, you know, forward looking for that. So yeah, yeah, I totally get it. There's some going through the motions if you make it a contract requirement. Mm -hmm. and, and, and not, yeah, not just checking the box and mm -hmm. getting Chad off your, off your back. Of, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, hopefully that was, um, that was all, uh, you know, a cooperative relationship of, of, of the army helping those contractors help the army. Like hopefully those were good collaborative relationships. I think like you would tend to see in a lean supply chain, or at least that's the, the direction that you'd want to see it going in. The, the direction we were going, I wouldn't say a hundred percent ended up that way. Yeah. Yeah. But so then working in that type of setting, you know, something that comes up a lot, whether it's any, well, anything non-automotive, this happens a lot in healthcare. This probably happens in other manufacturing sectors where, you know, you're, you're teaching this and, and people may hit you with, some variation of like, the statement of like, well, yeah, but but we don't build cars. Mm -hmm. Like, you spend a lot of time helping people see. Well, look, you know, as I think as as you write about, this is a transferable framework. Like the word car probably doesn't appear in your book. I don't have a digital copy to go and search it. This isn't. <laughs> how, how how do you help people see that this is something that really can apply to any type of business? Yeah. So um, my thinking, both from my education as well as my experience, is inherently process-based. So whatever it is they're producing, you ultimately serve a customer or a client. 
right? We're, we're fulfilling a need, whether that's a service delivery or a product delivery to a customer or client. So, okay, who's that client? That's usually, usually <laughs> pretty easy to answer. Okay, and what service or product do you pro uh, provide to them? And, and this is it. And what's the process that you produce that? So, I mean, that could be a financial report. That's things I've looked at before. Uh, I worked in utility industry for a while. Uh, one of the reports they do is a, a load study, which is um, looking at electric distribution loads. So what's the what's the consumption of our product profile distributed between industrial, commercial, residential, all these other things. So there's a report that needs to be produced. So there's a process that you follow. And do you know how long it takes and how long do you, you know, how often do you make a mistake and have to go back? And what did your customers actually need in the end? And in that particular example, we, we found out that we were able to shorten a 20 page report into a, a two worksheet um, Excel table and just say, just email them the Excel table. That's all the information they need. No one's reading the report, not because they don't want the information, because to make the decision, that's what they need. So there's a, a report. I uh, just had lunch yesterday with a, a client I haven't been engaged with for a while, but they're health and human services. So they do foster care and adoption and, and counseling services. They have a they have a pretty mature lean management system in place where they're actually looking at at a top level for the organization. How are we on track to strategy? How are our programs performing? Then in a program and portfolio review, they call that like a tier two huddle. Then a, a tier one huddle where they're looking at individual program performance and, and things like that. So like they get it now. The the areas that it's been deployed in is it does work. There is an underlying process and you don't have to convince them like we're not manufacturing, we're not automotive. If we just step back and say, are we following a process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've worked for manufacturers. You mentioned consumers energy. Were you there when Patty Poppy was? I was, yeah. CEO. Yeah, she was CEO when I was hired in. And she's now CEO of PG&E in California. Um, I, I was not real familiar with her until September. She was one of the speakers at uh, a GE event that they um, organized and produced called the Lean Mindset. So like Patty really impressed me. And I know some others from Michigan who uh, knew Patty, industrial engineer by, by background. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I really impressed with her leadership and, and commitment to, to lean. And, and there's a video available on, on YouTube. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes or chat. I'll, I'll send it to you if I haven't seen it. But like she was really emphasizing using A3 problem solving to, to address the biggest problems they were dealing with, which was basically setting fires in California. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, she, she emphasized, um, to use your words, you know, they, they weren't trying to copy and paste from any other organization and they weren't just training people on, well, here's this A3 process that you could use someday. Like she really zeroed in on like, this is how we're going to learn and practice. And, and they've had a huge reduction uh, in, in incidents and fires and damage and harm, you know, really kind of putting safety first. So anyway, sorry to tell a little mini speech about <laughs> Patty Poppy, uh, but I should turn it into a question. She's a great leader and she really understands the people side of it as well. Continuous improvement, engaging the people and empowering them. And, you know, you talked about problem solving. So the problem solving methodology, whatever goes on that A3 size sheet of paper, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you have five phases or eight steps or PDCA. Um, or Demaic, as you write. Or Demaic. Well, I, I was 
I am a little bit partial to Demaic. That's where I cut my teeth. So, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not. I'm not here for an argument about. It's <laughs> fine. You know, you can always get out your lean decoder ring, right? How many slides have you seen where it's like, well, these are the phases of Demaic, and it maps to these eight steps, and this is the AD, and that's the PDCA, and it's like, whatever works. My my purpose of bringing all that up is just like we talk about. You have a process for producing a service or a product, having a consistent process for solving your problems, just make sure that you get more consistent results, right? You can't rely on the lone few, just inherently brilliant problem solvers is like, let's teach. And, and this is a big thing that, that Patty was about. And some of the organizations that are, are more mature about building an army of problem solvers, where that's just the way we think. Well, if I want to think that way, I have to build the muscle memory. I have to go through it a few times and it's, it's going to feel I don't know, maybe even burdensome or overwhelming and like unnatural the first couple of times, like trying to write your name with your left hand or something. But uh, but that's the way we build the muscle memory. And that's the way you get broader engagements to where it's not, um, you know, the, the the lone consultant or or master black belt or whoever parachuting in to solve the problem for people. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to. Also, talk a little bit, Chad, about your transition to uh, being a consultant and and what you've learned, um, you know, about being an outsider to an organization versus being uh, an employee directly on the inside. Mm -hmm. So the the transition kind of happened uh, gradually, and then kind of ramped up it um, a little sooner than I expected. So it was like a friend of a friend would ask for some help, like, well, I know Chad's good at this. So in this case, it was problem solving. Could you come in and help our team solve this problem? Yeah, sure. Then the same client, maybe. Uh, could you teach a class on that? Teach some more people to do that? Yeah, sure. Could you coach them through a, you know, so it's like we see the ratcheting up of, of expectations here. Then eventually it's like, well, I, and I was challenging them, well, we're kind of scattershot problem solving. Like, what's the strategy we're trying to accomplish, right? And you get a little bit of the glazed work look of like, well, we have an X matrix somewhere, right? And it's like, well, could we, let's talk about your strategic planning process and what are we trying to accomplish? It's like, could you help us with all of that? And it was like, okay, here's a proposal that I thought they'd surely say no to. And they said yes. And then at the same time, I was onboarding another client. I'm like, man, I can't keep up with the day job. So that was like, it was great. It was, uh, I think there are a lot of validation of a skill set that I could deliver as an internal change agent, as you mentioned, you know, the difference there, there's, there's pros and cons, right? To the difference as an internal change agent. The nice thing is you're already, um, if I'm being a little cynical, you're already a sunk cost. So people aren't scared to ask your opinion. Right. Um, but there is a little bit of that effect of, um, you know, like a profit isn't recognized in their hometown where, you don't, they feel like you don't have a, a, a separate enough perspective to help them solve the problem. And that's something that is valuable being an outside resource is that you can, you do bring a different perspective, but often they're, they're more willing to listen to say, well, you've seen a bunch of different operations in this industry, across industry. So maybe you have seen something that's significant that, that we could learn from. Um, the challenge, though, is, is getting some of the commitment or the buy-in, right, of like upfront that I can solve your problem. <laughs> or I, I should rephrase that. I can help you solve your problem rather than me solve your problem. I did wow. kind of step down my own words there. 
Well, so, and, but, I mean, there's that difference between, or there, there's this question of expectations, right? Is the client wanting you to teach everybody how to fish or are they looking mm -hmm. for you to come with a, a boat full of fish for them? Short yeah, I think it depends on your consulting model. I mean, both types of, I mean, because we're using a very broad term when we say consultant. I, I've, I've been more moving towards when people ask me what I do. I said, I'm a process improvement professional. And they say, I kind of understand those three words. Tell me more what that means. When you say a consultant, they expect you to be, you know, I fly in on Monday, I fly out on Thursday and I wear a suit. And it's like, well, no, I, I help you lay out the strategy, but I also help implement. Right. And, and I think that's the, the value and, and really the, the for, I've had a good fortune of working at different levels in the organization where I do the shop floor problem solving, if you will, and implementation and Kaizen events. But I've also been in the C-suite room talking about strategy. So I can, I can work across that. So the organizations I really like to work with are kind of medium sized where I can have that, that span of impact. Um, you get too big and it's like, that's a big group in the C-suite and that's a monstrous group on the front line and you just can't possibly span all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, being consultant to consultant, you know, you, you, you try to find fit with organizations yeah. that you like working with organizations that are going to like working with you. And, and there, there are some people who don't have um, the patience or the interest in, well, you know, I'm going to teach your people. I'm going to coach your people how to improve. Like there are some people that want to hire the problem solver with the answer. And like, there's a lot of people who could do that. And there's a time and a place for that, I would say. But it, is, it comes back to questions of like, what's more sustainable? Mm -hmm. and I think we're, we're on the same page of, you know, um, realizing it's more sustainable when it's not some outside person throwing, lobbing a solution in and then leaving, no matter how good that solution is. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, so that word shows up in the subtitle of my book, right? Sustainable continuous improvement, which is building a system around it. If we just, that's your point, like lob a solution at the problem or even teach someone to put the solution at the problem. Now we have like one isolated solution that is operating in a fundamentally different like paradigm management structure than the rest of the organization, right? It's, it's, it can't thrive in that. Like what's the infrastructure that we put around that to change leadership's behavior? So I've had this conversation a couple of times over the last month. So once you make a process change, like whose accountability is it to make sure that process sticks? I agree with the fact that you say we want to empower people to solve their own problems, but like the accountability has to go to leadership. So who's going to reinforce the standard that you wrote? I was engaged with a client, I've just begun an engagement with a client and the frontline will tell you like, we don't teach, we don't train to our standard work. We don't audit to our standard work. And I'm like, so why do we have standard work? Because leadership told us we had to have standard work, so <laughs> right, that's great, and and I can I can help you write quote unquote better standard work, but that's not going to thrive without leadership saying yes, that is how this process is going to be conducted. That's how we're going to train and onboard. That's what we're going to audit to, and if it's wrong, we'll continue to update it. It should be living, but just saying the problem is that we have too much variability. We're going to write standard work. It's like okay, and then what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then it's things, it's not just uh, process improvement, but it's daily management as you, as you touch on two of the three pillars of, of the book. And again, we're joined uh, by Chad Bereither. The book is Improve Less, the Focus and Align Framework for Sustainable Continuous Improvement. Um, before, and 
before we dig into you know more the the, the content of the book, like tell tell us a little bit more about the spark. You know why why write a book? Um, you know why write this book? You know not not challenging that you should have, but I just always like to hear an author's perspective of like what was the moment where you're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it went through some evolution, right? So it started out with just looking at a few client engagements and saying, I, I'm, I seem to be doing something different for each client. Um, and what I, what I noticed is three distinct clients that I look back on now is like one really wanted help with strategic planning and strategic deployment, but that was it. And I'm like, great. But then like, how are you going to change your processes to, to get different results? If you're saying you want better performance, however you're going to measure that your processes need to change and evolve to get you better results. And I'm like, we need the rest of the equation. I had another client that was just looking at, you know, training and certification around problem solving. It's like, great, but like, are we strategically aligned? And like, who's going to manage those changes afterwards? And another client that was looking just to, just to talk about implementing, you know, huddle meetings, which is, I don't know, maybe they saw it at a conference or something. So great, but what metrics go on in your daily huddle and what do you do if it's off track? Like who's going to do the problem solving? So I'm like, I was engaging at these three different areas. And I said, if I had to start over <laughs> with those clients, where would I start? And so I started just mapping it out, like um, whiteboarding it, pencil and paper, like what would my structure be? The past organizations that I've worked with, the, the common elements of their lean management systems, like what was in, in there? And I say, all right, if I had to start off, we need to engage with leadership and understanding, first of all, why we're even doing this. Like, why do you want lean and, and or continuous improvement? We'll more generalize it. And if that is something like cost reduction, OK, fine. And maybe that's valid, but cost reduction for what? And if it is fine, then that means the management system is going to be structured around that. Then we set strategy, improve the, the processes and then stabilize the processes with daily management. So I started mapping that out and I said, oh, this is good. I, I like the way this is flowing. I should write this up into you know, a white paper or something like that and make it marketing collateral so I can share with my clients, here's how I would engage with you. And so I wrote all of that down. I was meeting with a business coach and I kind of shared some of what I was working on. He said, send me a copy. And he says, this is a book. And I said, well, like a book book? <laughs> I'm like, it's not long enough to be a book. And he's like, that doesn't matter. Like and he's, we started throwing around titles and, and the concept that I have. And, and I just, you know, we're, we're trying to improve too much. We should be doing less. And, and we got to that. And he's like, now the book makes sense of like, it is, it is a skinny book, right? I, cover to cover. I think it's 138 pages. So um, my, my, book really coach, about my book coach would, would tell you you're spot on with doing <laughs> A small book, a skinny book, if you will, um, because it's it's not over it's not overwhelming. Someone can quote unquote read it on a flight. You've probably heard that already, right? I did originally. Originally, the back cover was read it in a weekend and implement on Monday, and I was like, I don't know. I, I want people to feel like they have to read on the weekends, but but you can digest it really in a few hours, and then there is a structured process in chapter five to say, okay, where do I start? Um, and it's not tool heavy uh, by design, because I said, we'll introduce the tools when we figure out what problem we're trying to solve, right? Outline the, a high level, high level framework that's been very successful th for the clients I work with. Do I bring in more? Yes. But that is a great place to start. So that's kind of the evolution of how I got there. Then 
then it ended up with, you know, words on a page, business coach says you should turn this into a book. And I'm like, great, I have no idea how to do that. So then I work with a publishing strategist. I decided to self-publish. And then that process was all foreign to me as well. So we need content editing, we need copy editing, we need layout, we need illustration. And I'm like, great, just tell me what you need me to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, 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 you got good help. Um, you can see, you can see, and uh, that's where I think like self-publishing is a bit of a, nis, uh, a misnomer. Um, you didn't do it all yourself. I didn't do oh, no, my no. books all by myself. So it's like, I, I like to say my company, I am the publisher. My company is the publisher, but yeah, it's a team effort. So. You know, and you were, you were ta- asking at the, the top of the interview a little bit about, you know, people who are interested in writing. And, and here's something uh, interesting. I, I did definitely share with a small group of, of people, uh, professionals that I trusted their opinion that would at least understand the subject matter so they could challenge me on content, right? Um, I'm just uh, on the periphery right now of a group that's going through it as like a book club and they're all continuous improvement professionals, right? So there's some agreement and there's some tearing it to shreds <laughs> based yeah. upon your background. And it's, it's fun. It's valuable input for me to, to hear about, okay, like, do I agree with that input or not? Time back to writing a book. It's too bad that it's very waterfall in its approach to get to the customer, right? And if I had to do it again, and if I, if, and when I do a, another book, I would advise people to get eyes on the content, right? Before you get too far down the road where it's, it's difficult to change, right? Once you've been through copy editing, that if you change anything, you've got to go back to copy editing. So, um, and I, I think a lesson I had learned, maybe a mistake, Mark, uh, is like I had professionals read it. I should have had when it was in manuscript form, more of my target audience read it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, luckily, it is resonating with them very well. But as I look back, I'm like more of an agile deployment of like, here's the outline, here's the mind map, here's the introductory chapter. What do you think? Right. Um, I felt like once I had sunk so much effort into it, right, then it's it's difficult to pivot or else you're restructuring the whole book. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, and let, you know, you get another crack at a different book. You're right. Agile or lean startup ideas, I think, apply really well to a book. There's a, a whole methodology out there called lean publishing hmm. um, where, where you, you, you can apply some of those ideas to um, have it be more iterative. And I think. You know, there's there's what the experts might tell you about the content, but then you know, having readers who don't know anything about process improvement doesn't make sense to them. Like, who yeah. who are you writing it for, and and getting some of that feedback early and often? Yeah, there's you know, there's like phases of any any client's journey, right? Where you're kind of upfront and you're just problem unaware, right? Not even aware that the way I'm running my business that there's challenges with it, and then. Eventually, you have some different perspective, insight, some learning that you become problem unaware, but solution. I'm not sorry, probably problem aware, solution unaware. But then eventually, I'm problem aware and solution aware, but I'm not implementing, right? Then problem eventually right. goes away. Right. Or I'm, I'm trying you to know. implement and it's not going well. So then you, you maybe need coaching or help. Yeah. That, right. Are we, not, and, and are, we not doing, are we not doing the right thing or are we not doing the thing well, right? Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent point as well. But, you know, if you're if I'm trying to write and I was, you know, trying to write people that are kind of on those first two of like, I'm either problem unaware or I'm problem aware, but solution unaware. 
it's a different audience than saying like, yeah, we've tried lean and it didn't work or, or something to that effect. I'm like, if continuous improvement isn't in your lexicon right now, like where would you start? So uh, one thing in the book, and you know, you say this early on, and you know, I think this is a great call to action, change fewer things, but the right things. So there's, there's a problem statement or you know, current state in a lot of organizations of people, leaders are trying to do too many things, too many projects, too busy. Like how, how would you describe that problem statement and, and, and some of the causes of, of why that is so common? Um, so I, I think you described the problem statement very well, but the, the problem that it creates uh, is, you know, lack of focus and a lack of alignment. So if I don't know what to, to focus on, I'll, I'll give you an example from a past organization I work with and they have 26 strategic goals. So it's like, great. It's, 26. One, I probably can't even list them all if I work in the organization. So that's the first problem. Secondly, it's Tuesday afternoon and I say, what's the most important thing to be working on? It's like, maybe it's one of the 26, maybe. Or whatever um, fire has popped up, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if I have a limited amount of, of space, time in my calendar, wouldn't it be great if the whole team was rowing together? Maybe that sounds a little cliche, but like if we can align more on a few, and I'll even challenge one, one to three strategic objectives like that we're really trying to accomplish as a business. And we put, we mobilize more of the efforts towards that. Then we'll actually make more headway. We'll make more progress. So um, that's the, the, the thinking I'm doing all the way down to the front line of like, don't fix everything, like fix one thing. What's bothering you today? Let's work on fixing that rather than like, why should we have 20 open A3s versus two closed. Like it, it, it's never, it's always been a challenge to me of saying like, we have to have more improvement ideas or there, there's no shortage of ideas. Like let's finish one and then we can talk about another one. Um, there's a couple things I see as a root cause. So, so one is everyone feels like they need to contribute. So it's like, well, I'm not involved in that strategic initiative somehow, whatever. So I'm going to have my own. Okay, so they feel like I have to have something to work on. Um, you know, if you think about something like theory of constraints is like, but that might not benefit the organization at all for you to be changing and improving right now. And if every organization has a, a finite capacity for change, changing more stuff just takes away from the overall capacity. Different organization I work with, the director was a friend of mine and was lamenting them to me one day. He's like, Chad, I get a call like every week if I just need one person for this initiative. It's like, yeah, but that's the 10th call I've had. Like, I don't have 10 people to loan out for a strategic initiative. I got to run the business. So that's one thing is folks feel like I have to have something, right? The other thing is, is our planning cycles is, is I feel like if it's a year plan, I need to load it up to make sure that it's, there's enough to get done. Well, maybe strategic planning shouldn't be year to year. I, I still advocate for an annual review, look back at what we've accomplished and then look forward. But prioritize. If you pick one to three and you're like, it's not enough, I'm like, great, get those done and then we'll pick another three. But like, what's the sense in starting six and maybe finishing two by the end of the year? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. I was at uh, a Lean Solutions conference um, here in uh, Muskegon and they had a beautiful chart, which I'm totally going to steal. And it, and it was empirically sound. And it talked about the number of goals an organization has and the number of goals that they accomplish. And guess what? As the goals go up, the number that you actually accomplish goes down, which is 
completely logical from my point of view, but we, we see this hedging of bets of let's put more goals on and every function needs one. And then what we actually experience is there's, there's no manageable change. And then, um, sorry to make this a long answer. The last thing I'd put on that is we're not thinking about sustainment. So we might think about how many people would it take to run this project? Great. When the project's over, there is some investment by that process owner, the leadership involved to actually sustain that change. And, and the hardest part is going to be in its infancy when we're actually asking people to do their job differently, measure their job differently, et cetera. So we don't think about the effort. So I said that those are kind of the three root causes that I experienced. Like everyone feels like they need something that we have these long planning cycles. So we're just going to fill it up <laughs> to make sure that we don't run out of stuff. Yeah. And the third thing is we don't plan the resources for sustainment after the change is made. Yeah. Hey, don't don't apologize for giving uh, an in-depth answer. I don't need to ask all the questions. Maybe I can just, I can ask less. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, hopefully I'm prioritizing and, and choosing a good mix of questions for everyone. But um, when we look at this framework, Chad, the three pieces, strategy deployment, process improvement, daily management. One thing you touch on in the book uh, I was going to ask you about is, you know, a gap between how senior leaders are spending their time versus maybe how they should, a different mix of spending their time that might be effective. I, I wanted to say that in a less judgmental way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a, a worksheet that I have that I've evolved that when I'm, I'm coaching individual leaders, we look through, which is a reflection on your calendar. And, and I would say, you know, before we go into that specific tool, like reflection in general in business is, uh, I think, underutilized, like taking a step back after a project, um, after a financial quarter, like and really reflecting on like how we did, how our processes are performing. But we I don't see. And I, I force is that right? The right word to do. I ask politely. <laughs> the you strongly encourage. Strongly encourage. To, to do this, of, of let's look at your actual calendar and where you spent your time and then categorize it. Like, are you spending your time putting out daily fires? Are you spending any time on process improvement? Did you spend any time on a regular basis on strategy? So that may, we talked earlier, like annual planning cycle. So if we really do all of our strategic thinking at a four-hour workshop before we play golf in November, is it surprising to us that folks in the organization don't know what the strategy is or what they should be working on? Yes, I advocate literally on a daily basis, we should be talking about strategy, progress is strategy, and what our key initiatives are. It's leadership's job is the clear communication on that. So we look back at the calendar and just say, where are we spending our time? Are you working on the right things? Now, that only is the starting point for a problem, right? A problem is a gap between what I want to have happen or what I expect to have happen and what actually happened. So then if we find a gap, then we can say, great, what do we think we should do about that? There's not one answer to that question, but man, some reflection on that and reflection on problem solving, what went well and what didn't go well, reflection on a product launch. So reflection in general is, I think, underutilized in uh, in industry. Yeah, because that, that doesn't feel or look like work. <laughs> Thinking, you know, I mean, right? I mean that it, but it's so it's so important. But I think I think people discount that because it doesn't seem as somehow like going to a meeting and, and sitting there seems more action oriented, mm. sitting and thinking and reflecting. Yeah, 
which is, I mean, we could have, I feel like we could do a whole other podcast on meetings and the values of meetings and attendance of meetings, but uh, yeah, but we, we do um, in our traditional, I'm speaking from a very Western mindset, right? Find value in going to meetings and having my calendar filled. Uh, that that it's something people brag about, about how busy I'm triple books. You know, I mean, I mean, that means all sorts of things. And yeah, we, we probably could have done a good 45 minutes on each of the three yeah. <laughs> components here. But let, let me ask you one other um, question, Chad, kind of related to daily management. Maybe it's related to all, all three of these things. When you, when you write about a culture of learning, what are some things that you've learned um, that, help leaders turn that goal into a reality or at least working toward and developing a culture of learning. Mm. So um, I don't know if I'm going to go in exactly the direction you're expecting, but one of the things they have to learn is like one, they're not responsible for getting there. They're not the ones uh, turning the screws or meeting with clients or delivering the products. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is they don't even necessarily have to know how to get there, right? And so that's that's kind of crazy of saying like, we need to know where we're going. We need to know what we want to accomplish. And then I really need to empower the team to tell me like, can we get there, right? Is this, if you think about the catch ball process, is this reasonable? And if it, once we've arrived at something that's reasonable to accomplish, how do we get there? Now, what that, that culture of learning creates now is the leader's learning, about the process, because often if you've moved up in leadership, you've been separated from the work, from the actual assembly, from the actual service delivery for some years. Yeah. So your your knowledge is already, I don't know, what do you want to say, rotting, <laughs> expiring? Yeah. And that happens in healthcare too. A nurse leader used to be a nurse, but that was very different 15, 20 years ago, or even, yeah. even just a few years ago. You're right. Things so, change. The learning can be the, the the leader needs to learn again about the process, not just assume they know the process because they did it at one point five years ago, or you know I spent fifteen minutes on the line last month. Uh, so there's some learning of like I need to understand how we're going to get there, uh, but empowering the team to do that, and then the, the learning of uh, we talked early on about one of the best ways to learn is to teach. So then like teaching the problem solving process, again, the process, the process, the process, not the answer. Um, what this builds for the, for the team now is giving them the chance to learn. So I've told you, Mark, you're, as you're the leader, you've told me this, the goal we've, we've agreed on what we think we can accomplish and how we're going to get there. And now I get to learn, right. I get to learn how to accomplish that. And, and when I uh, fall short of that goal, what I should do. and um, I learn about accountability to like, if, if I'm owning this, it was my idea and mm -hmm. I want to make it work versus like, I'm just doing what Mark told me to do. Right. So some of the biggest learnings we see in leadership is relearning about their process, but also learning how to delegate and coach, mm -hmm. which I, I think are, are terms that we, we say, and everyone's like, they nod their head of like, yeah, I know what delegation means. Yeah. I know what coaching means. It's like, but we're not widespread. We're not delegating and coaching, right? We're, dictating answers uh, to the organization. Yeah. Well, Chad, congratulations uh, again on, on the book, Improve Less. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised there's if there's another book that will come out of your work and, and reflection. Um, this is, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on um, getting this, this book out. So I will put links 
in the show notes um, to your website, Chad, and, and uh, ways people can get more information about the book. So um, it's great to have that over the finish line. I'm, I'm sure that feels good to have it out there. Hopefully the, the reviews, I, I think when I looked are all five stars, not, not to jinx it because every author gets their first <laughs> on five star review. Brace yourself for that. That's a, the, that's a different conversation, but oh, I, 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 so congrats. I'm sure it feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. I'm, I'm thrilled that there's some uh, uh, initial positive sentiment towards it. It's, it's bringing people value, which is like what I set out to do. So it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up, Chad? Uh, no, this has been an awesome conversation. I think I was telling you up front, a little, little geeked out, right. It's like lean blog. Um, some other podcasts that I've been on are things that I've listened to for a while. I followed your work for a while. So, I mean, this is, uh, it's a little bit surreal, um, to be at, at this, at operating it and communicating it at this level is just fantastic. So it's, it's great. Well, good. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you for, um, telling us, uh, your story, things you've learned, things that you're sharing here in the book. So again, we've been uh, joined uh, Chad Bereither. The book is uh, Improve Less, The Focus and Aligned Framework for Sustainable Continuous Improvement. Um, maybe we can do this again sometime, whether it's here or on My Favorite Mistake. Um, there's so much more we can discuss. Um, look, look forward to whether that's next year at MLC or wherever we cross paths next or here in the podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Chad Berather for being our guest today. To learn more about Chad, his book, his firm, and more, you can look in the show notes uh, to find links or go online, leanblog.org slash 494. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.